This is Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. Farm to table wasn't enough for Chef Neven Patel. He had to have his own farm. He had to grow his own vegetables for the dishes he serves at his restaurant in Kendall, Ghee Indian Kitchen. He had to be the one to pick the food from the vines in his own backyard, where his twin daughters run through the rows of okra bushes, laughing in the rain. He took that same idea and applied it to two more restaurants he opened in Coral Gables. It's a lot of work, being a farmer and a restaurant owner and a chef. You can't argue with the results. Neiman was named a finalist for a National James Beard Award last month as an outstanding restaurant owner. And it all started with the kind of restaurant he said he'd never open, an Indian restaurant. See, Neven was born in Valdosta, Georgia. He was raised in Jacksonville. He loves making pasta more than anything else. He even has a little bit of a southern twang. It slips out. I've heard it. Somehow, he became the foremost authority on Indian cuisine in Miami. He became the guy who packed spices in his bags from his trips to India. Somehow, raised among southern food, he became an expert in southern Indian cuisine. I want to figure out how he did that. So today, here's Neven Patel. Welcome, Neven. Thank you for having me, Carlos. So here's the, the true question for any southern boy. Yeah. Do you follow college football? <laughs> yes, I do, but I do like the NFL better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't grow up in the South and not be a football fan. Of course. I mean, I grew up in Jacksonville with the uh, Florida-Georgia uh, game. The Florida-Georgia game? Oh, right. Yeah, it happens the... every year in Jacksonville. So, And you were aware of that growing up? Oh, yeah. We used to go every year. You know, It's the largest cocktail party yeah, in the, the country, right? <laughs> that's right, the largest outdoor cocktail party. Yeah. It's interesting to, to hear you talk about your Indian... I mean, your, your southern roots, and you have this Indian restaurant. And I'm curious about what it was like growing up with Indian roots in a place that's very southern rooted in tradition. And, and what were your connections to your Indian heritage, Indian food growing up? Or were you very much an all-American southern boy? No, I mean, uh, my heritage is very close to me because when I grew up in Jackson, it was a very big extended family. Oh, you're, so I grew oh, up you had a lot with of family like there. my uncles, aunts, and my, my family started off with like a small little motel in Valdosta. And like my dad was the first one here in the country in the early 70s. Oh, wow. And then, you know, he got married to my mom. And then my mom's side of the family actually moved to Valdosta, kind of just started going to school and stuff. And basically that one little motel kind of supported this whole extended family to start off with. And then through the years, you know, like four or five years after I was born, they decided to move to Jacksonville and start businesses. And through that, through the years, it just became like a big family there, that all kind of worked well together. I want to say that there's a show called Little America on Netflix right now. And there's one episode where there's like this Indian family that owns this Little hotel, little motel. Uh-huh. It kind of like that, that one is like in Texas. Okay. So like, is that is that yeah, kind of what brought your family? Yeah, exactly. Just started off small, and then um, it was just amazing to grow up in a really tight family, where like on weekends everyone would get together, basically sleep over for the weekend, and that's where I found my love for cooking and food and just like family in general. That's amazing. And, and yet there's something Latin about you because you use your hands a lot. I hear you banging the table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's interesting to be to have that tie. 
what did you think that did for you for your your interest in in food and community to have like community around you well i think you know in the hospitality field i think what brings me so much joy on a daily basis is to bring experiences to a guest that maybe wasn't expecting it right right and so that's where kind of the ethos and like my lifestyle has become now I don't think of our restaurants or what I do every day as like work anymore. It's just a part of my life. Oh, right? I would love to get to that point in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And so it's just great. Like, you know, today I woke up and I was like, I'm just going to pick some veggies for Carlos and bring it. And then I can't wait to see what you do at home with it, honestly. I know. You, you, know? you brought this bag and we're going to go through this bag. We're going to do yeah. an unboxing here on, on the radio in a minute. It's going to be great radio, I promise. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about what your table looked like growing up. Because you talk about mm-hmm. growing up and it seems like you had a very urban lifestyle. And now you live a very suburban. Uh, tell yeah. me about your your what you, what your house your yeah. house will look like and what your food look like. Yeah, I mean, you know, as any like immigrant family coming in the states, it it wasn't easy in the beginning. I still remember growing up basically underneath the counter of a convenience store. You know, me and my brother, they basically set up a mattress underneath the counter. Is that what your parents did? Yeah. So they had store. convenience stores to start off with, and you know they would open up from like seven in the morning till 11 at night right wow and you know they couldn't leave us at home by them by ourselves so basically until they closed up we would be sleeping underneath the counter and going home with them and um and did was your was it ever expected of you that you would go into that kind of family business like a as you know as we as the family grew and kind of the businesses grew we kind of transitioned from convenience stores to more hotel development mm-hmm. and hotels and, and now you have two restaurants in a hotel we can I know about right that. and you know I remember just being on job sites at like 3 a.m. as like a teenager in the summer on concrete pours and stuff like that so you know it was kind of a unwritten thing that was going to be a part of that and then of course I threw a curveball and said I just want to do it all on my own and do culinary how, how did that um, go? Like, how did you realize that you were interested in food? Like, what was it? What were your memories of it that really drew you to the kitchen? Well, I just love cooking with my family. And then, you know, in the early 2000s, when I decided to go this route, you know, it was the huge Food Network movement. Right. Of like all these chefs and like the Food Network had just come out. And um, well, what was cooking with your family like? What did that look like? Yeah. What kind of foods were you making? Because in the deep south, so it was like, did you right, guys? Right. No, you it have was any still very entrenched in like Gujarati food, and like um, what's good? Prime, Talk to us about yeah. Gujarati food. What is so it? Gujarati food is like a, a region in India that's very agriculturally driven. Uh, most of the diet's actually vegetarian. So I grew up vegetarian pretty much the whole my whole life. Right. Um, and growing up here in the south, you can there's still a lot of vegetables and things that you can grow locally right that kind of mimics the exact vegetables that would grow in that kind of um climate right like what kind of stuff were you were you so like black eyed peas there it's called jari in gujarati and it grows so well in the south so like black eyed peas and eggplant is like one of like the staple dishes of Gujarati cuisine. Mm. Interesting. So I like like for me my go-to meal is like black eyed peas and eggplant right oh wow with rice and like yogurt right right such a amazing combination well it seems like uh like you you kind of tapped into like 
the things happening in the tropics because one of your restaurants here mm-hmm. uh, is Mame, and yes. and it's like these are foods that yeah. are like we associate with Caribbean, but it's really a tropical food. In other words, if you were to draw a line across across the globe, mm-hmm. you like you would have the Caribbean and India kind of sharing similar um, yeah. agricultural possibilities. One hundred percent. So, like a dish that we do at Mame. That I think ties in Miami and the Latin culture in India is like the ghee roasted plantains. So we took a very Latin thing like plantains and added like layers of Indian flavor with like tamarind, cilantro, yogurt, and like crispy chickpeas. And when you eat it all together, it just becomes like a match made in heaven. I feel like that though the plantain. What would the plantain be in in India? Would that be a sweet potato of some kind or? Yeah, so it's actually like a either uh, it's called rotaru. It's like a sweet potato, a purple sweet potato, or they do it with like samosas and things like that. Also, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I feel like there's there's so much connection. That so I, I so you clearly had this interest in cooking. Who were the cooks in your house? Who did you watch? Oh, it's my mom and grandma. Oh, mom yeah. and grandma. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like the men in Indian households don't ever cook. <laughs> so did you get yelled at for being in the kitchen? Or? You know, of course. Like, it was uh, not yelled at. It was just like I was always hungry, so I was always in the in the kitchen, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what kind of food would you be sneaking off the... You know, um, like, there's just so much amazing, like, snacky food in Indian cultures, right? Oh, yes. Like, I don't know if I've ever, like... Usually every Christmas, I make this trail mix that's just like crispy curry leaves and like puffed rice. And it just becomes this like very addictive trail mix. And just like things like that. There's just so many snacks of India that it's just very addicting. Everything is easy to kind of yeah. to munch at. And and we're so if the men really were if the, the kitchen was the women's domain, which yeah. is like not an uncommon thing that you, you've heard. Yeah. How did how did they react with you uh, both on yeah. sides? So you haven't you have. Oh, I mean, it was kitchen. it was it was really hard to convince because I was so tight with my whole family, like extended family. So like any major decision in your life has to be approved by like 20 people, right? <laughs> Can't just be your mom and dad. So when I decided to like go to culinary school, you know, I kind of honed in on something close, which was like Art Institute in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. And actually one of my aunts lived in Fort Lauderdale. So his plan was like kind of go live with her while I went to school and things like that. And so I had a whole plan formulated and they're like, you're crazy. So wow. kind of to convince them, I basically made the living room of our house into a dining room one night. What? And basically did like a 12-course meal. That is amazing. For them. So put it, put me in age. How old are you more or less? About 18? Uh, about 18. Okay. Yeah. And I made my cousin. She was the server. And I printed out these menus. Oh, man. And full restaurant. Full restaurant, right? To make them understand how serious I was about this. Because, you know... Um, they just thought it was like a phase, right? And so we did this whole meal, and they're like, okay, he's serious about this. Give me give me what was on the table. I know you still remember some of the oh, things yeah. you made. I mean, it was, some, it was some crazy funny stuff. Like I did a, I did like an Asian-style soup, but I served it in like a cabbage cup, and it was <laughs> very, you know. And like I made this like peppermint mocha cake, and um, it was just, it was it was just like trying to mimic things that were on Food Network, right, at that time. And what were their reactions? Were you watching them as oh, they yeah. were doing? Yeah. 
and you know and that was the moment like it just happened and i was very fortunate that i have a i had a supportive family that kind of embraced it and you know uh got me to school basically you know and and you had this this all of that kind of led to you uh being nominated for an outstanding restaurant tour we're going to take a break here uh, on sundial we're talking with Nevin patel restaurant owner of Ghee Indian Kitchen, Mame and Orno, three restaurants in Miami. Uh, we'll continue talking about his journey in just a minute. Welcome back to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias, and our guest today is Neven Patel. He's a Miami restaurant owner, and he's nominated for a James Beard Award. Neven, you grow up in this uh, household where you kind of break the mold, and you decide that you're going to be a chef, and now you've kind of done this thing where you break the mold again. And Miami, I think one of the most unique things you've done is you decided that you were going to farm. So it wasn't hard enough to have one of the hardest jobs in in that right. exists, which is working in a kitchen. Now you also want to be a farmer, like putting those things together. Yeah. Tell me about the idea that went into wanting to grow your own food in the backyard behind your own house. I know. So I mean, it all started. I tell this story a lot, but I think it's good to talk about. It's like, I think there's a, it's not appreciated on how products get to your doorstep, right? Right, right. And this is a case that a well, restaurant- Well, Publix, Publix, right? That's right, right. <laughs> it just like, just magically appears, right? And it, it all started from when I was working at a restaurant and uh, we had these beautiful heirloom tomatoes from a local farmer here. And one of my team members, they kind of sliced half of the tomato and then the other half, they just threw it in the trash. Oof. And then that was kind of like the, the moment that made me think about like, do you even understand how hard it was to grow this? And the answer clearly was no, right? So that summer I basically decided, because my background before I came here to Miami was working in Grand Cayman. Okay. And you would imagine in Grand Cayman, there's no farming, everything's flown in. But Cayman itself is like such a gastronomic kind of island that there's like abundant farming there that's happening. And the restaurant I worked at at that time, that's where I really got into like farm to table and like really sourcing ingredients. And they had their own farm and I just it just became part of what I love to do. Oh, so I see the connection there. They had their own farm. And yes. so like what kind of products were you seeing? Uh, that that came in you know. from that restaurant. Yeah, I mean, they're like you can grow everything that you can ever imagine. There, like the tomatoes, and then like you know, just even a simple thing like a co- co- coconut and mango that we take for advantage here in South Florida, right? On every street corner, there's a man- there's a coconut tree, right? And you know, having the farm, you're able to control the process. So, so you took people to school. You started this farm. Almost to teach your st- the staff exactly. It all stemmed from like starting to teach the team. So I made them like whoever wanted to come to the farm. We basically just started. Again, I had no experience on how to build this farm, right? Because you didn't grow up on a farm. Obviously, of course. you didn't have any kind of background in that. And I'm a very hands-on kind of le- learner. And we just said we're just gonna do this. And like I rented like these trenchers and like cut through all this rock so we can lay irrigation. And it was just like understanding the process, right? And the, when we say farm, I think people have an image, but like yeah. your house, like it's just you're just off a regular street, exactly. And it's just a house, and then behind your house is about what? About a about a like 
A little under an acre. A little under an acre. Yeah. So you start trenching and start learning how to farm yeah. back there. From the basics of just like how do you irrigate and how do you run irrigation lines? You know, what kind of size, what kind of drip irrigation? How do you control the water, right? Because water and soil are like most important things when it comes to this. And it was just the process that you know, over the last like nine years now, it's been... You've been doing this for nine years it's now. It's been crazy. And like, so it started off as an experiment to teach your staff and I guess to teach yourself too a little bit about mm-hmm. even the little details between... So take that the next leap forward, which is growing enough things mm-hmm. to use in the restaurant. And that could not have been an easy transition, right? Oh, like, no, no, no. Because what happens is, you know, you think you have enough produce right you're like wow i just harvested 70 pounds of carrots and then you when you put it into the restaurant environment it's like gone in like three days (laughs) (laughs) right so how did you do that then you start supplementing so yeah initially it was like you know like any chef or gardener would do like you have this beautiful soil set up and we just like grew like 40 varieties of things but it was not enough to do anything with, right? Oh. It was just like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So it would be highlights on the menu. And th- th- through the years, now we've honed in on like 10 crops that we can mass produce, that we can hit the menu year, you know, for at least two, three months at a time until the next thing is growing. You can really grow, focus right. on growing these many, the, these few things, but a lot of it. Yeah. So like what? What kind of things grow well here that that? So like carrots, but now it's just exponentially growth. Like kale, I love Romano beans, tomatoes. And then also through the nine years, like my front yard, we kind of made it into more of a fruit orchard. Oh, so fruit in the front and And it's like the mullet. Kind of veggies in the back. It's the mullet. So fruit's kind of more summertime, right? So like the beautiful thing about South Florida is like, you can have a year-round growing cycle of wide range of fruit and vegetable, right. right? Like in the summertime, we have okra, eggplant, and then lots of tropical fruit. This time of the year, it's like all your staples of tomatoes, carrots, beans, things like that. And then you try to build the restaurant, the menus around the things that you know are fresh. Exactly. And then it goes back to controlling the process, right? And being able... I'll give you an example. Like right now we're growing coconuts, right? And coconuts are everywhere. But when you're able to pick that coconut when it's at that right stage where you get that, you know, I'm sure everyone's eaten it, but they've never associated that coconut jelly. Right. You know, like that younger coconut. Yes. That's just like amazingly tender and tasty. Like how do we bring that to the restaurant, right? And in a mass production scale, you're not able to do that because you're just kind of controlling. You want it hard coconut or young coconut for water, right? Right. But how do you find that medium to create something special? Right? And that's where your interest lies, right? That's where you become interested. So you grow these things. Give me an example of what dish, one dish that mm-hmm. became, that came yep. from your yard. Yep. So like right now, I think, at, at Ghee, we serve this dish called patra or pakora. And I think it's very entrenched in the Gujarati culture where it's a taro leaf that okay. we grow. And we actually uh, have like a chickpea paste on it. And we make like a roll out of it. And then we fry it. And this becomes this like 
crispy, leafy, amazing kind of appetizer that we do. And it's, and it's so that- unique to like an Indian restaurant, but so familiar to like a household in Gujarat, right? And I, it's interesting because um, the your your restaurant in Ghee, your restaurant in Kendall, Ghee Indian Kitchen, is an Indian restaurant. And you said, you've I've heard you say before that you never thought that you would open specifically an Indian restaurant right. because you have such varied interests. What? Yeah. How did that? How did that happen? Well, that happened just like I had some friends over at my house that are in the industry, and I just cooked a typical Gujarati meal. Where it was like that eggplant and black eyed peas that we were growing, oh, like a warm yogurt soup, and just like these normal combinations that we eat at our house. And, you know, they ate it and they're like, what is this? I'm like, this is how we eat every day. And they're like, this is nothing like what we've ever had with Indian food. Because you, traditionally, you think of Indian food as. Like Punjabi, heavy curries, things like that. Things with cream, things with, with English influences, right? 100%. Like, like British, English. And a lot heavier, exactly like you said it. And we, like on a daily basis, eat very light, you know, vegetable forward kind of dishes. Let, right? let, let's find out what you're talking about here. You brought this beautiful bag. It looks like, yeah. a, it looks like a book's duff, uh, like a like a tote bag. Yeah. And it's got, uh, we, got a, we got a hat here from Herba, which I, I know is a restaurant concept you've been playing with. Yeah. Uh, but open up that bag, and what do we have in there? All right. So in this bag, we have. There's this green bushiness coming yeah. out of the top, and you Those pull it Those are the carrots. Oh, they're, the, they're these tiny little carrots of all different right. shapes, kind of like a. Yeah. Between like like a yellow and orange, and I think carrots are like one of the most satisfying things to grow, because you know what you're about to pull out, but you have no idea the shape, the size, because it's all underground, right? It's like a scratch off ticket. Yeah, and then like <laughs> kind of the earth kind of moves the carrot around and has different shapes and sizes, and I just love pulling carrots because it's just so gratifying to just pull in and see the fruits of your labor, right? I kind of made a goodie bag from the farm that kind of is all the flavors of what you could do with a minestrone. Oh, right? interesting. The so idea we have of like kale, okay. Romano beans. Oh, so there's this beautiful leaves of kale that they're like the richest, one of the richest I've seen. They're, they're kind of bumpy shaped. and Yeah. And then here, this is actually an interesting flower here if you want to try it. Oh, is this uh, a cilantro? No, it's actually a dill blossom, oh, right? Oh, it's a dill blossom. There's these tiny yellow leaves, and it's So really it's like the, when the dill goes into bolting and seeding, right? It becomes this, and it's like such a beautiful flower. It's a little more orangey, like like yeah. citrusy that, yeah. than, than the, the rest of the dill. And plant. this is also another awesome herb. It's called bronze fennel. So it's a fennel that actually doesn't create a bulb. It's just the leaves. Oh, and you can so like chop it up and it's put this it very frilly, burning. these very frilly leaves. And like I'm looking in front of you and it looks like I'm standing in a farmer's market. Oh. I know. And then, you know, I just love growing flowers because it just bring it, it helps with bees and stuff coming into the farm. Oh, to create the full uh-huh. kind of pollination. You have these lovely sunflowers. Uh, sunflowers. And oh, then um, I'm going to put one in my hair in a minute. Yeah. And then also, I think. You know, I have kids now, and like when they see the flowers, it brings them a lot of joy. So I grow them especially for them. And then this is like one of my favorite beans oh, in so the these, world. This is like, uh, what kind of bean is it? Romano bean. Oh, Rom- I'm going to snap it right yeah. here on the air. Ready? Yeah. Oh, look snap. at that crisp. You can that, even in raw, like they're so. Do tasty. that again. Do that again. Oh, just a crunchy little crisp snap. Mm-hmm. 
And then we grow like three or four different types of radishes. We have watermelon, purple radish. Uh, oh, look at that radish. It's like a pale, like a pale pink. And then we're still digging into the special Oh, and you stuff. got these beautiful tomatoes. Did you grow that tomato? Look at this tomato, right? That's an heirloom tomato. That's it's, an heirloom tomato. It's a bright yellow ridge tomato. It's a, probably a big it's a softball, big as a softball. And then we have this one, which is actually a seed that I brought back from Italy. And that's like a yellow San Marzano. It's a yellow sandwich, so, but it's actually orange, and it looks right. kind of like yeah, a, it looks like a Christmas ornament, round with a kind of a pointy top to it. Yeah, and it, oh, so, and it's so redolent. You smell it, and it's and you can smell like the earth in it. And it's something that we just launched at all our restaurants. I brought us some beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's got like a it's got like an image of like a goat because goat is you know greatest of all time. Of and but it's your image kind of like it's yeah. Your and my partner Mohammed's uh, is the, the toucan. toucan. Yeah. Oh, that's so fantastic. So we partnered up with Tripping Animals here in Doral, and it's a brewery here in Doral, yeah. and uh, it's amazing, like hazy IPA that is going to go great with all the food in all the restaurants. And it's got cashmere, citra, and amarillo, so different yeah. kinds of hops in it. Yeah, just three different types of hops, nothing else in it. But that's also it's also what all our restaurants are about. Is like, how do you take those three hops and make them into this amazing, interesting, complex flavor? And I think that's what having these fresh ingredients in front of us kind of elevate the restaurants because... A lot of what brings me joy every day is like when a guest comes up to me, he's like, I never thought these flavor combinations would work or every. How did you even think of this? And like all our restaurants, it's all about like flavor forward, like in your face, but simple ingredients. And it's like I imagine there's inspiration when you just I'm just looking at all the things laid out in front of us <laughs> and you walking through these rows of of different vegetables and mm -hmm. fruits and and that must be a real source of inspiration for you when you every build. day i mean that's what that's what just like you know brings me calmness and then in our crazy industry it just brings me so much joy every day to be out there and then see the cycles of seasons change like you know all over south florida now right there's just mango blossoms everywhere right it's such an amazing thing to see, like that blossom in like three months is going to become a beautiful mango, and just seeing that whole circle and different kinds of mangoes and yes. and everything else. Yeah, I'm I'm curious, how is your experience of your daughters watching them grow up around this? Yeah, different for you versus how you grew up. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think like I never understood this until I had the kids, but like every parent's dream is to have their kids have a better life than you grew up, right? And it's what your parents wanted when they opened exactly. those hotels and those right. little and motels. Right, and I think that's what this is all about. And, like, it, like, you know, Ari and Aya, that's their name. Like, when they're outside in the farm, they're, like, different human beings. And I just see it in them, and it's just so amazing to see, like... In what way? How are they They're different? just, like, alive, right? Like it's just, like, different. Like, there's just the energy, their freeness their love of being outside and you know we do dinners out on the farm once a month and like we you know we light the fire in the oven they like sitting on the table and watching me light the fire and just like that whole experience i think you know just gives them a whole different roundness i would believe i you know we talk about this and it's so idyllic but i know that there is 
a, a bit of turmoil behind it because 2020 hit restaurants and restaurateurs very differently. And it was also a very critical time for your family, both with your daughters coming into the world yes. in, a very, in a very significant way. Yeah. Uh, but I want to get into all that. But first, I'm going to take a little break here. We're speaking with Neven Patel. He is a restaurant owner, and he's nominated for a James Beard Award for his out-of-the-box thinking uh, for his restaurants. We'll be back on Sundial in a minute. We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, but the star is Neven Patel. Uh, he is a restaurant owner of Miami's uh, Ghee Indian Kitchen, and he's up for a James Beard Award. And that's all well and good, but 2020 hit everybody kind of like a, a wallop. I remember at the end of 2019, uh, I was at the Miami Herald, and one of our photographers and I had come out with the idea of following you for a year at the farm. Yes. Uh, and how that would change in the lifestyle, uh, you know, and the fruits in the ground, and that was late 2019, and by early 2020, we were all just figuring out how to get it done. Yeah. But now you had a restaurant, you had others planned, and you had two daughters coming into the world that summer. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the challenges of that summer. and, and, and Yeah, I mean, I think everyone in our industry and in the world, basically, like, our D-Day here in Miami really was, like, March 15th. Yeah. Um, when everything, all the restaurants were closed, basically, yeah, basically or ordered closed. And everyone was just trying to figure things out. And it was probably one of the hardest days of my life because it was like, I care so much about our team and like giving them great livelihoods that matter and having to decide basically, do I try to keep the restaurant alive or do I try to be a hero and save everyone oh, right yeah. and you know through a lot of counseling between my partner mohammed shivani my wife we basically you know came to the decision of having to furlough the whole team wow right 90 plus people and i personally sat down with every single person and had the conversation it was the most gut-wrenching thing I've ever done in my life, right? Um, I remember you did something, because uh, Shivani, uh, she very much is a partner with you. She basically yes. is like the, the CEO of the restaurant. 100%. Right now. And, and you guys you guys uh, kept health insurance for yes. like your core staff. Yeah, like we that kept was, health insurance. And basically which in the middle my, of a pandemic, you know? Exactly, and my, my theory was like, let me just try to save the business, right? right. The business is around we'll have it if the business is healthy when things get back to normal it'll be there to employ right. and to thrive right and you know we basically it's still kind of very blurry in my mind because it just went from you know furloughing straight to survival mode and the survival mode was literally shivani me my mother-in-law and father father-in-law every morning because it was like in peak season of harvesting all the vegetables and everything basically harvesting food from the farm bringing it to the restaurant early in the morning basically figuring out a menu for the day and posting it online and just like Come was, eat this food that we have grown before exactly. it goes bad. And basically, you know, like my father-in-law was the dishwasher. Me and my mother-in-law were just like cooking as much food as we could. And Shivani would just like post the menus and like 
work on all that side. And it was so amazing to see the community come together and support us because I was just we were just post the menu online and at four o'clock we would go live and literally by 4 30 I would be like Shivani shut it down because it would just be an influx wow of orders amazing and something that we did that you know meant a lot to me was doing like some free meals for industry people and like any of the excess vegetables that we had we would just set up a table on the outside of the restaurant for people to just grab and leave whatever they wanted. And there was a point where you had you couldn't do it all, and you had to let the farm just go to seed, exactly. right? At one point, this thing that you had spent years building up that was at the heart of your restaurant, yeah. you had to say, "I just don't have the manpower. Let it go." What? Yeah. How did how did you absorb that? It was it was really hard because that's what starts my day every day is yeah. going to the backyard and like just seeing you know, fresh flowers, vegetables, and all that. And then just seeing it basically die and become weeds and grass and just nothing. It was really heartbreaking. Tell me about when you finally, when were you able to start it back up and what did it do for you? Well, I was very fortunate to have, you know, Mame in the horizon. And Your restaurant at uh, the Thesis, at Thesis Hotel, Hotel in, in Coral Gables. Gables. And Mame was in the horizon, and it was a big decision of when to open, right? And in between all of this, uh, in June, I had my twin daughters, Ari and Aya, and it was just a lot of things happening. And that was a big journey for you guys, too. Yes. Ari and Aya coming into the world. Will you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, uh, Shivani and I have been trying to have kids at that time for like six, seven years with no luck, and went through the whole IVF process and you know if if anyone knows IVF process it's very hard on the woman's body because there's a lot of hormones pumped in so we went through this whole roller coaster of you know the eggs and embryos sticking not sticking all that so we went the surrogate route actually and we found a surrogate that lives out of Tampa and you know, we put two embryos in and two stuck. <laughs> so there's Ari and Aya. And, you know, literally, I, I still remember the day we basically were still just trying to keep the business alive. And me and Shivani get home, you know, around 10, 30, 11 at night. We're in bed at like 12, 30. Exhausted. And we get the call from our surrogate in Tampa that it's happening. Wow. And so I you know we were pretty much ready so we hop in the car drive across the state you know get there by like 4 30 in the morning and you know basically it was still like the heart of covid so shivani was the only one able to go into the hospital and you're out in the car and i'm out in the car with all this stuff because we had no idea how long we would have to stay in there like once you're in the hospital you have to have basically all your stuff because you're not allowed to go in inside. You're quarantined. You're quarantined in that room. Wow. And basically she goes in and then like and two hours later, someone comes like, you are you can go in now to the waiting area. I go to the waiting area and they're like, okay, now you're going to go in this room. I end up in this room 
with nobody in it. And like 20 seconds later, they hand me a baby. Oh, my God. They hand me Ari. Oh and I'm like, my God. what's going on here? Flip a switch and now you're a father. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, where is my wife? Where is... And they're in the room next to me, but I had no idea, right? And like, it was just... It was a crazy time. Um, and it that also seemed, because it was timed with Mame then opening basically a month and a half later. Exactly. It's like this whole... Out of all this dark areas, you kind of have this yeah. little birth and rebirth of this and yeah, business. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's what, honestly between the babies happening and Mame opening, that took all negativity out of my life. Wow. I told myself that negativity just cannot enter, right? We have all this new birth and we're just gonna put all our energy into it. And that's what's really energized me through the pandemic and beyond now. It's just like staying positive and just tackling the problems as they come. And you've had this amazing support where your in-laws have were always have always been very involved in the restaurant. Your yes. your wife is she is Shivani born in India or is she American? She was born in India but grew up in South Africa actually. Oh wow. And yeah. so how did you guys meet and this family that you know, became so integral to the success I know. of your restaurant? It's just it was a match made in heaven, right? And you know, it was kind of we met a little bit at my brother's wedding in South Africa, but then it was kind of connected through uh, in you know Indian culture, there's a lot of arranged marriages, so there's a lot of connections that happen behind the scenes that made us come together. Oh, putting you in the right room. That's a, I think if we can get them in the right room, exactly. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic. That's a that's a great story. Yeah. So then, you you then are have created this this thing that that took on a life of its own, and people have noticed. You were nominated. You had been nominated previously for a James yes. Beard Award for mm -hmm. one of the best chefs in the South. Correct. So it's like a regional thing. But now you're nominated for what you've created at all three restaurants yeah. with your partner. Yes. And I wonder, how do you feel about that? Something where you've not just done this thing locally, but now people are are affected yeah. far outside of it. And I mean, being named as like a restaurateur with James Beard was something that I never thought of, right? Because as chefs, we're just so into the chef side of things. But as we're... As I've kind of evolved in my career, I'm at a place now that I'm so happy to be able to create spaces that mean something from a guest perspective, also from a employment standpoint, right? Where we can provide great jobs that pay well, that create support for families that can have the same dream that my parents once had, right? Of growing their families and becoming a part of the American dream. And it's, it's, it's so much more than just cooking now and it's like creating spaces that just like have meaning and soul and being able to be recognized by James Beard it's just mind-blowing I guess it's also this idea of not just slash and burn and all for me but you've also influenced other people you're uh, a guy who was basically your almost like your partner uh, Pushkar Marathi uh, yes he, he you guys opened another ghee for a temporarily in the design district yeah. and that launched his career to opening, now he's got two restaurants in Palm Beach. I know, I'm Beach. so happy to see him thriving up in Palm Beach. Um, and he's also, we should say, he's yeah. also a James Beard exactly. nominee, which is... Because, like, Pushkar is such a hard worker and so talented and passionate about what he does. And now as we grow, and, like, also someone else that got nominated for James Beard, Aquino West with Rosie's, right? An emerging chef, yeah. And he, he worked with me for six, seven years. And... Being able to see some of the younger people that work with me and seeing them take the next step, there's that's what it's all about. 
Well, it's that whole idea you were talking about about creating a, an ecosystem for, for that sustains itself that that people are able to grow from exactly. it. Um, tell me about a little bit about what's next because I'm I'm guessing yes. that the uh, all these all these fresh fruits and vegetables in front of us uh, lead to something else. Yeah, I mean, um, I never stop, and my partner Mo, like we're a match made in heaven because we're we're really focused on just creating great culture, but also pushing ourselves to create great experiences. So. Like our next venture is Herba, which is my true hundred. Like I love making pasta. So it's like a pasta forward. It's restaurant. a very pasta forward restaurant with obviously highlights of lots of vegetables coming from the farm, um, and it's really trying to. It's basically cooking Italian food how I envision it. Like all our restaurants, we have kind of a genre of food, but. It's just my interpretation. Instead of sticking with like the red sauce Italian or traditional, it's taking those techniques and kind of methods and just doing them how I would like to, you know, create those flavor combinations. Well, that's what you're saying about like how can we use the coconut in its midway point rather than what two people are used to. How did yes. you come? How did this guy, the guy that grew up in the South in Valdosta, yeah. Georgia, yeah. in Wintersville? They yeah. call it for all its high school football championships. How did that guy end up loving pasta and to make pasta? Yeah, I mean, uh, it started when I was still going to culinary school, but I met who became my mentor chef, Dean Max. Um, I worked at a restaurant called Thirty Thirty. Oh, and Dean Max has has influenced a, a lot. lot of South Florida chefs in, in yeah. particular because so there was something about his restaurant, his chef culture, which he wasn't yelling at people, right? Exactly, and that you know, this is talking about fifteen. To 16 years ago makes me sound a lot older, but yeah, surprise, you, know, you are a lot older. I know, I know, but you know his his philosophy and way he ran a kitchen was very different at that time than most, and it really influenced how I treat and manage people to this day. Give and, us an example, because you you and right, I have known from the red, right. but give us an example of something that he did different that really affected you in the way that you treat. I think I think it's just his demeanor and his level of respect for the person, but also having that firm push on him, right? I think that's the art of like managing so many people is like still keeping up to a very high level and that requires standards and a little bit of push, but it's all about the approach of how you talk to people, how you view them as a human. Like sometimes, you know, you don't have to use demeaning words or actions. And it's just more how you simple things is like I go into every one of our restaurants and say hi to every single person. It's just natural in me. But when you think about it, some people don't do that. And it's just a simple thing like that. that Not treating them like a cog. Right. And so he teaches you to love pasta. So tell me about pasta. Like, and what are you going to do with it? That's that's going to be very Neven, you know, you know versus... Very Neven is, it's just, I think it's all the flavor combinations, right? So I think one dish that excites me the most, and it's so simple, is like, we're going to make a pappardelle, right? But the pappardelle is going to be lined with, all the pea greens from the farm. So give us a, an idea what a pappardelle describes. Pappardelle is like a uh, wide noodle. Okay. A wide egg noodle that we use. We make egg dough with a lot of egg yolk and flour. And then we're going to laminate it with all these pea greens. So when you look in the dough, 
it's going to have all these pea leaves going into oh, it. And right? these are all things that 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 are coming from the farm. Amazing. And then we're going to simply do it with like little lemon, fresh peas, and like olive oil, right? But it's such a simple thing that when you think about it. But the process of making that noodle the perfect texture, like we're going to have a pasta room in Urba where it's actually going to have like a pulley system, especially just for this dish, right? Where we take these sheets of paperdel and hang them above us while we're working on other pastas. Oh, that's just the flex. You're just showing off. You now. know, and, and, and when you dry this pasta a little bit and then cut it and then boil it, it creates a whole different texture of fresh pasta than just like rolling it out, cutting it and boiling it. Right. So it's just like being able to control those little things that, you know, you just, when you read it, it's just like paperdel, peas, lemon. Right. But when you eat it, there's so many layers and textural elements to it that add to it. And I think that's what makes our food special. What do your parents think about all of this? These folks who, who yeah. originally had, you know, when you grow up with your yeah. kids, you have an idea for them of, what they're yeah. gonna be, and they seeing you, yeah, turn this into your into your. Career. No, I mean it. It's so funny. My mom is become like an Instagram lover. So like on <laughs> all our social media channels, she's like always commenting on, uh, you know, or DMing our social media networks and being like. I'm Neven's mom. This is so awesome. <laughs> and it's so great. Your mom stalks your Instagram. Yeah. That's fantastic. She's your number one fan. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Do they, are they down here still? Yeah, they live in Jacksonville. And so. so, and so how is, what is it like for them to see how you've incorporated the food that you grew up, that they yeah. grew up cooking for you and yeah, that you're inter- reinterpreting in a different way? It's amazing. It, like they come to the restaurants cause like anybody like who is, eating like home cooked food right like there's like for me there's nothing more satisfying than a home cooked meal right right it doesn't matter what restaurant i go to right that it's amazing everything's great but like a home cooked meal it's just something about it that's different right and be able to create some of those dishes in the restaurant and like your parents eat them and they're like wow this is amazing like that's this what feels it's all about. this right? feels that like feels something like home right yeah what do you think this has done for a bigger picture? Folks thinking about farming or thinking about mm-hmm. how they can incorporate fresh ingredients because for so for yeah. so long there was the idea like, oh, you can't grow anything in Florida. Right. And like Yeah, I mean, I think it's just about doing it and starting small, right? Just grow some carrots and find the joy in that and it'll just kinda take over you and just like keep on expanding, right? And is there's so much joy from seeing like this microscopic seed become this carrot, right? And like find like just watching it grow, it's so satisfying, I think. And it becomes kind of an inspiration for, for many other things. Yes. Have you had people that kind of intern under you and kind of in the last minute or so that you've seen yeah. have taken your idea and are doing their own thing with it? Yeah, I mean, I've seen like some chefs uh, do their backyards. And I think the most important thing is, you know, like our farm is like, more of a laboratory and kind of just a it's amenity to like everything that we do we still support so many other farmers like tiny farm nosberry boric and support meaning you buy their product buy their product also and i think it's it's also just and we buy like i grow things that they're not growing so we can support everyone and be able to you know 
it, like for them, it's their livelihood, right? Of like being able to grow and sell to restaurants and CSAs and things like that. And for us, it's great to just control the process of growing the perfect carrot. Yeah, right? which you're holding up this beautiful little carrot. In the last minute, yeah. what would you like to see other restaurants do? Would you like to see them take up this kind of idea and incorporate that? Yeah, I think it's more, I would love, there's so many amazing farmers here in South Florida and still they're having trouble selling their product, right? And I think I would just love to see more support uh, on that because for me, more people using great product is great for all of us because they'll keep on growing more stuff. And if you want to see what Neven does with that, he has these incredible dinners at his house, which he calls Rancho Patel. Neven Patel is nominated for a James Beard Award. He's a restaurant owner in Miami, and uh, he's done something special by truly bringing his own farm to the table at his restaurants. Neven, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Carlos. And that's Sundial for Thursday, February 9th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our Director of Original Live Programming. Our Director of Enterprise Journalism is Jessica Bakeman. Our Engagement Editor is Katie Lepre-Cohen. Our Digital Editor is Matea Sanchez. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's Vice President of Radio and Sundial's Engineer. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Do you like the show's theme music? It's by the Afro-Cuban funk band Palo. They will be joining us next week on the program. We'll hear about their origin story and why they compare their music to the soup ajiaco. Find more about Palo at gopalo.com. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.